Let's open with a word of prayer. Our Father, with gratitude, we bow before you this morning, thanking you for the privilege of coming together as the body of Christ. Thank you for the fellowship of the saints, and um, Lord, how sweet that is as the Spirit unites our hearts together. We are so indeed thankful that you have shown us the truth, and Lord, that you continue to do that as we walk through the scriptures. So we pray that this morning you would illumine our minds and give us an understanding that comes only from above. Lord, help us to honor you and the way we think about the message that Gabriel gave to Daniel. May it be alive and real to us, for it speaks to the world in which we live. Lord, thank you for my brothers and sisters who come consistently week after week. Pray that you would uh, honor their attendance by giving them an understanding of the scriptures. May you be glorified in all that we say and do today. In Christ's name, amen. This is week number 54 in our study of the book of Daniel. And we're over in chapter 9. And last week we began to look at verse 27, the last verse of the not only the chapter, but the last verse of the message that Gabriel gave to Daniel. And previously, in the verses that lead up to this one, we've seen all the activity in the first 69 of the 70 weeks that have been decreed by God, seven per- 70 periods of seven that have been decreed by God to accomplish um, all that's written in this uh, prophecy. And remember, this is all, always need to remember, this is a message that God gave to Gabriel to give to Daniel. This is not Gabriel's message. This is not Daniel's prophecy. This is a, a really a declaration by God of what will happen in human history across the 70 periods of seven that are detailed here. And so we come to verse 27. And I believe verse 27 is all about the 70th week, uh, the 70th period of seven. And I believe it also matches up to the book of Revelation that we began to try and show last week and we'll continue looking at today. Um, But you need to have more just um, that you believe that. You, You need to have reasons out of the scriptures of a foundation of how you can make those kind of statements. So that's what we're trying to build. We did that when we looked at the people of the prince who is to come, trying to build a foundation and understand who those people actually are. And we need to do the same if we believe that this is the 70th week that was decreed by God is yet still future. And that is the view that I hold. Now, You know, I find it interesting. There are people who clearly disagree with that and don't believe these verses are literal, don't believe that these things are actually going to happen. They were just imagery or speaking of uh, events that um, have already taken place in the past. And you remember verse 24. There are six accomplishments in verse 24 that God has decreed will happen. All of those are... Um, really blessings for those who believe in Jesus Christ. 
Only three of those, we looked at this in excruciating detail, only three of those were accomplished in Christ's first advent. And all six have been decreed by God. So my question to those who hold a different view is when are the other three accomplished? If, you know, do, do they just go away? Or does Christ actually do the things that he said he would do? You know, um, one of those that was not accomplished is that the transgression will be finished. And you remember this message is specifically to the Jews. So the transgressions of the Jews is that they don't believe in Jesus Christ. So when will that change? How does that happen? I think the scriptures give us evidence of that, but they don't think about that. Or how about everlasting righteousness will be brought in? When does that happen? Because in their eschatology, that's done by the church. And we usher in the return of Christ. And I go, that doesn't sound like everlasting righteousness being ushered in. Um, It sounds like something that we do, which would never be true of the scriptures. And then they also, um, all the visions and prophecies will be sealed up. They'll be completed. They'll be finished. Well, how can that be true if this prophecy given to Daniel isn't real? How could you ever seal up all the prophets or all the other statements that are made about uh, the anointed one coming in the future that were not accomplished in Christ's first advent? How are those things accomplished if not by what the scriptures say? And they don't have answers for those. They just say it already has been done. We're living in the millennium now and the world's getting better. And I look at it and I say, it doesn't seem to be getting better to me seems to be getting worse. And, you know, so I I just don't understand that view. And if you go to the scriptures, I think the scriptures support what we're trying to present and a literal hermeneutic and um, the millennium of Christ being true and real and will happen. And in that, all these things will be accomplished. The Jews will understand who Jesus Christ is and give him honor and be restored to Israel. That all the prophecies will have been fulfilled at that point and that Christ will reign in righteousness over the earth with a rod of iron so that no one can revolt against him. So that's how this is accomplished. And those are the things that we look for. And those are the things that are spoken of in verse 27 in the 70th week of Daniel. Now, let me just read this verse and then we'll kind of pick up where we left off last week. Daniel chapter nine, verse 27. And he will make a firm covenant with the many for one week. But in the middle of the week, he will put a stop to sacrifice and grain offerings. And on the wing of abominations will come one who makes desolate even until a complete destruction, one that is decreed, is poured out on the one who makes desolate. Okay, so this is, I believe, the 70th week of Daniel that is being spoken of here. And the first thing that you notice in this verse is that he, who I believe refers back to the prince who is to come in the previous verse, will make a firm covenant with the many, not just with the Jews, but with the many. 
And if we take time, we'll see that same kind of statement made over in Revelation. Um, and then he'll make this covenant that is established for seven years. And then in the middle of that covenant, he'll break it. And he'll stop um, the sacrifices and the grain offerings. And that would speak to what the Jews are doing. And, and things should come to your mind is that the Jews today, as we know them, don't offer sacrifices and grain offerings. And there's a reason for that. Because they don't have a temple to do it in. And plus, in order to do that, you have to start where you left off previously, which involves some ashes of a red heifer. And until you have those things, and you have the Ark of the Covenant, and you have a temple that has a holy place and a holy of holies, and you have an altar outside of that temple with the prescribed um, steps and heights and dimensions and all the things that are prescribed in the Mosaic Law, you can't offer sacrifices. It would be an abomination before God. So that's not done today. So that means that if there, this is literal and it's true, there is going to be a new Jewish temple. It'll be the third one. The one that the Romans destroyed in 70 AD was the one that Zerubbabel rebuilt in 516. It was completed, 516 BC. And then it was destroyed, and there has not been a temple of the Jews for 2,000 years. And so they haven't been offering sacrifices and burnt offerings and, and um, all the things that go with that, the daily sacrifices since then. So that ought to be in our mind that there's going to have to be rebuilt a temple. Now, is that a syncretistic temple where you have multiple types of people um, worshiping in it? I, I don't think so, because that, again, would not be allowed by the Mosaic Law. And so there's going to be a temple. Today, where the old temple was, there's a mosque. And so something's got to change. And we just don't know how that's going to happen or when. But um, if you believe this is literal, then it will happen. So there, there are a lot of things in this verse. And he says he'll break that covenant after in the middle of its period of seven. And we've done the background. We've looked at the research. We've matched it up to the uh, first coming of Jesus Christ that these weeks seem to speak of years, seven years in each week. So if he makes a covenant for seven years, he breaks it in the middle of the covenant, which would be three and a half years into it. Now, usually most people who have a literal hermeneutic begin at this point to match this up to Revelation. And we started to do that last week. So I want to go further in why do you believe that this verse given in Daniel chapter 9, verse 27, written somewhere in the mid-6th century B.C., 2,500 years ago, speaks about something that is yet future today? How can you make that argument? And so we want to try and begin to do that. Um, and, and to present that in such a way that is understandable and you don't have to have any secret keys or 
special understanding of the scriptures or a higher level than any other Christian has, which many people talk about. But we're not going to do that. We're just going to take uh, an understanding of the scriptures as they're given to us and try and make this connection. So, um, and we're not going to do as some do, which is pick out some parts and ignore other parts. You know, you can't do that. That is not honoring the scriptures. If, and there are many who do that, who, who pick out some things and say, see, here it is and then I just can't see the rest of it. And your, your, your theology, your doctrine, if it doesn't envelop and come from all the scriptures, then you have no right to hold that doctrine. You have no right to uh, consider it to be right because you're ignoring part of the scriptures that contradict what your doctrine is. So whatever you believe must be supported by all the scripture, not just by part of it. Right. Right, and you know, and, and I mean, we, we, we say this forthrightly, we have a, a literal hermeneutic based in history and understanding that occasionally there is poetry, there is allusion, there is similes in the scripture, but the rule, most of the time, is a literal hermeneutic. And if you get away from that, then you can basically make the scripture say anything you want them to say. Because of where you want to, you can say it's an allegory, and it's just speaking of figurative things, and it's not literal. And you start to do that, and as Andy said, that just opens up all kinds of misunderstandings. You know, the seven literal days of creation can become a million years each, which is what the majority of the church believes today. I don't agree with that. You know, I believe in a literal seven days. Um, so, but we won't go there, but we will go into Revelation. Now, we looked at this last week, but I just want to rehearse it, that the first place you see the person that we call the Antichrist in the book of Revelation is in chapter six, and he comes in on a white horse, and it's in a time of great upheaval, a time when a fourth of the people on the planet are killed. Um, cataclysmic things happening and he comes in on a white horse to symbolize peace and leadership and so the world assents to him and I believe that's where the covenant is made for seven years but then the next place where you see the person we call the Antichrist not used in the scriptures other than in 1 John 
but um, seems to match up, and that's the term people use, this term I'll use. Um, using the term beast is probably more scriptural, but the first place where he shows up is in Revelation chapter 13. And we looked at this last week, but I think it would be a good place for us to, to start again. It's just to read some verses out of Revelation 13. A lot has happened between chapter 1 and chapter 13, mostly um, cataclysmic type things, um, scenes in heaven, scenes on the earth, um, a lot of things happening. But the here in chapter 13, um, there is a, a war in heaven and between the holy angels and the evil angels, those who fell with, with Satan. And the result of that war in the heavens is that Satan is cast down to the earth, meaning he no longer has the realm that he has today. He only has the realm of the earth. He is not allowed to operate outside of the earth. And so he's angry about that. And in that anger, we have chapter 13. Um, the Satan is the dragon that is spoken of here. And so chapter 13 of Revelation begins with, And the dragon stood on the sand of the seashore. Then I saw a beast coming up out of the sea, having ten horns and seven heads, and on his horns were ten diadems, and on his heads were blasphemous names. And the beast which I saw was like a leopard, and his feet were like those of a bear, and his mouth the mouth of a lion. And the dragon gave him power and his throne and great authority. I saw one of his heads as if it had been slain, and his fatal wound was healed. And the whole earth was amazed and followed after the beast. They worshipped the dragon because he gave his authority to the beast. And they worshiped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast, and who is able to wage war with him? There was given him a mouth, speaking arrogant words and blasphemies, and authority to act for 42 months was given to him. And he opened his mouth in blasphemies against God to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle, that is, those who dwell in heaven. It was also given to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them, and authority over every tribe and people and tongue and nation was given to him. And all who dwell on the earth will worship him, everyone whose name has not been written from the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who has been slain. So the whole world is worshiping those this beast, except for those who believe in Jesus Christ. And he is making war against those who believe in Jesus Christ, kills the vast majority of them. And in this, you see that in verse 5, he's limited in his authority to 42 months. Now, 42 months just happens to be three and a half years. And you see, this beast doesn't really come on the scene until the last 42 months of the Great Tribulation. And so this, I believe, matches 
to where in the middle of the covenant of seven years, at three and a half years, the covenant is broken. And this beast comes on the scene and begins to make war against all the earth and then specifically against those who believe in Jesus Christ. And he has authority to do so, but it's limited for only 42 months. The scriptures say if that time had not been cut short, that even the elect, even those whom God has chosen, would have been lost because it is great deception, great upheaval, um, the great tribulation. And so I believe this speaks of the time when the dragon, Satan, gives his authority. You notice this guy comes up out of the sea. Well, the sea in scripture typically represents the people of the earth. So this means this person is a human being. He's not supernatural. He's a man and he, or a woman, and he comes on the scene and he is just like you and I, but he's given the authority of the great evil one. So he's filled with demons, filled with power, filled with enraged anger. And so that is supernatural, but he himself is not supernatural. And we'll talk about this when we get there later. Right now, we're just trying to make the connection. Does Daniel 7, Daniel 9, 27 speak of the book of Revelation? Well, there's more. You know, I told you about this war. Well, that war is detailed in Revelation chapter 12. And in the first four verses of that chapter, you sweep all the way from the fall of Lucifer and a third of the angels, to the creation of the nation Israel, to the birth of Jesus Christ, to the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and then to the tribulation. So this is all of human history in four verses in the book of Revelation in chapter 12, all the way from the foundation of the earth until these events of tribulation. Now, so we'll pick up in verse 5 of chapter 12, and you'll see more linkage. You know, we just talked about the time frame, but you see the ten horns that we remember? You see the body of a leopard, the mouth of a lion. Um, what was the third one? Um, feet of a bear. These are all things that we saw back in the chapter 7 and 8 of Daniel. And here you see them all coming together in this beast. Well, there's more linkage. After Jesus Christ is resurrected in verse 5 of Revelation, chapter 12, then, well, we'll, we'll reach, start with verse 5. And she, this is a woman who is Israel, We'll, again, we'll make all this connections for you well when we get there. But the woman is Israel, and she gave birth to a son, that would be Jesus Christ, a male child who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. That's how you know it's Jesus Christ. And her child was caught up to God 
and to his throne. So there's the resurrection after the crucifixion and the, and the ascension. Then the woman fled into the wilderness where she had a place prepared by God. So there she would be nourished for 1,260 days. All right, now 1,260 days, if you use a 360-day year like the Jews do, is exactly precisely three and a half years. So here's another reference to three and a half years. And you notice the woman doesn't flee into the desert until those three hundred and three and a half years can be completed. So again, at the middle of the tribulation. And notice that she is nourished by God there. So Satan wants to come against the Jews when he's cast down to the earth. But he's unable to because God protects them and hides them and nourishes them. Still on the earth somewhere, Satan just can't find them. And that's because they're hidden by the sovereign of the earth, the Lord, um, God himself. Now, okay, there's another link to the three and a half years, but there's another one here in this same chapter that if you drop down a little later, um, down into verses 13 and 14. And this will be language that you've heard of before. So this is the beast um, on the earth and going after the saints of God. And in verse 12 of chapter 12, for this reason, O heavens, and you who dwell in them, woe to the earth and to the sea, because the devil has come down to you, having great wrath, knowing that he only has a short time. So Satan knows what's written in the scriptures. And the only place he would know that he only has three and a half years is from Daniel and what Revelation says. That's the only way he would know that his time is limited to three and a half years. And when the dragon saw that he was thrown down to the earth, he persecuted the woman, that's Israel, who gave birth to the male child. But the two wings of the great eagle were given to the woman so that she could fly into the wilderness to her place where she was nourished for a time and times and half a time from the presence of the serpent. So here you have Israel. This is how they're protected and nourished by God. On the wings of an eagle, I believe that is figurative. It means that they move quickly and speedily to the place where God has for them, maybe even supernaturally, as you remember Jesus in the middle of the, of the lake with the disciples in the boat and moved to the shore in the blink of an eye. So God can do that if he wants to. Maybe that's what he does here. Takes all the Jews who are fleeing from Satan and in the blink of an eye hides them where Satan can't find them. Don't know exactly, but the scripture says on the wings of an eagle. But then the phrase that they're there for a time, one, and times, two, 
and half a time, one half. One plus two plus a half, three and a half. Same thing, same phraseology, exactly the same thing that we saw in Daniel when we were walking through chapter eight, seven and eight, um, that they were hidden or they were protected for, or that the dragon had authority for times and times and half a time. Now, just so we make that connection, go back to Daniel chapter 7. You remember Daniel 7 is the um, prophecy of the four beasts. The fourth one being the greatest, the fourth one being given in more detail than any of the others being given. And when we were looking at this, I said, you know, I think there's some allusions to the end times here. And the way you make that connection, I believe, is you go to chapter 7 and you look down in verse 25. Not 25, or chapter 7, verse 25, not 6. Okay, and let's start in like 23. And you'll see some of the connections even in greater detail. Then he said, the fourth beast will be a fourth kingdom on the earth, which will be different from all the others, other kingdoms, and will devour the whole earth and tread it down and crush it. As for the ten horns, which we just saw in Revelation, out of this kingdom ten kings will arise, and another will arise after them, and who will be different from the previous ones, and will subdue three kings. He will speak out against the saints, against the Most High, and wear down the saints of the Highest One, and he will intend to make alterations in times and in law, and they will be given into his hand for a time, and times, and half a time. But the court will sit for judgment, and his dominion will be taken away, annihilated, and destroyed forever. But before he's destroyed forever, he's given dominion for a time and times and half a time. I don't think it's coincidence that over in Revelation you get the exact same statement. Time, times, and half a time. And the Jews are protected for 1260 days, which equals time, times, and half a time, which equals three and a half years. All of these things saying the same thing. So in the middle of the covenant, the covenant is broken after three and a half years. That leaves another three and a half years. So the book of Revelation, I believe, matches up to what we saw in Daniel. And you begin to gain greater understanding and insight as to what is written in the book of of Revelation is previously written in the book of Daniel, and which is why we're studying Daniel before you go study Revelation. Because you need to see this linkage that what Daniel saw and wrote and was told in the book of Daniel foreshadows what John saw in the book of Revelation. Mm-hmm. If you go back to Genesis 
woman. Right. Not only was Jesus born of a woman, but born of a Jewish woman of a race of people who didn't even exist. Well, you can. Yeah, and you can just you can just see God, right, standing there or being there, talking to Adam and Eve, and when he says that, that I'll put enmity between you and woman, and he talks about the seed, he knows what he's talking about. He knows all that's going to be unfolded. And he's talking not about right there. I mean, he is, right? It was literally um, um, a judgment of God on the sin. But he's talking about way, you know, at least six or 7,000 years down the road. Yeah, this is, this is God saying, I've got it all figured out. And what does Christ say in Revelation? I am the Alpha and the Omega. I'm the beginning. I was there in the beginning. And I'm in there, still there in the end. And the same thing. God declaring the beginning from the end. And so this is, this is not happenstance. This is not maybe this will come out like this. This is the decree of the sovereign of the universe saying these things will happen and how you can look at Daniel 9 27 and not believe that he's talking about what he details to John the last apostle still living when he when he gives it to him it just escapes me that you don't make those connections there's just too many connections and which is why we're studying Daniel, because as we walk through Revelation, we'll be able to say, remember when, remember when, remember when, and we'll do it over and over and over again. Um, there's, a, there's a great little book. Um, I think it's called Daniel and Revelation or Revelation and Daniel. I can't remember. Uh, that makes these matches. And it's a little thin book, but there are just so many matches um, so I think it's the right way to, to think about it. Um, now, the next thing to notice, what time is it? Yeah, we got a little bit of time. The next thing to notice in Daniel 9.27 is that this one, this um, prince who is to come, it says of him that on the wing of abominations will come one who makes desolate. Now, very important that it says abominations. What, you know, what are abominations? Well, there are lots of them given in Scripture, but they're things that are against 
the ordinance of God. Some things um, just rise to a level that God calls them out as abominations. If you just do a word search on abominations, you'll see it all through the Mosaic Law. I mean, just everywhere. If you do this, and you do this, it's an abomination before God. If you do this, it's an abomination before God. And so you're not to do those things. Well, this prince who is to come is clearly opposed to God, presents himself as God, which would be an abomination before God. So all that he's doing is an abomination before God. Now, the, this abomination is not just in general. It's particular. And so why do you say that? How can you make that statement? Can you support that statement out of the scriptures? Well, I think so. You go over to Matthew 24, okay? And this is Jesus Christ, last time he goes to the temple, comes out of the temple, and the disciples are going, look at this, isn't this amazing what the Romans are doing to improve the temple? And Jesus Christ looks at it, And although it won't be completed for another 30 plus years, he says, it's all going to be torn down. Not a stone will be left on a stone. And and you can imagine the disciples are like, what are you talking about? I mean, they're still working on it. And here he is predicting, just like um, God predicted to Daniel that the temple would be destroyed again, even though it hadn't even been started yet. So, but Christ goes on, and they begin to ask him, what will be the sign of your coming? Meaning, when you come again, when your kingdom comes. And he goes, this whole chapter, Matthew 24, a long chapter, he details the things that are going to happen during the Great Tribulation. And this is where he makes the statement, if it hadn't been cut short, that even the elect would be lost. And But before he gets there, as he's beginning, he says something that is very, very interesting. Okay, and so um, he, he's talking to them about um, that there will be birth pangs, things will begin to happen, there will be wars and rumors of wars, Um, People will hate each other, uh, but these are only birth pangs. Now, ladies, I ask you about birth pains. Are they worse at the beginning or at the end? Clearly the end, right? They intensify. They don't get easier. They get harder until the culmination, right? Well, so will the tribulation be. So has all of the human history been. It you think it's bad now, it's going to get worse. And all through the tribulation, it starts out bad and goes to terrible. It gets worse. And so things are moving in the wrong direction from a human standpoint. They're getting worse, not better. But then Christ says in verse 14, of Matthew 24, the gospel of the kingdom shall be preached 
in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations, and then the end will come. Now, I'll just say something here. There are a lot of people who believe that the missionary effort has to go to all the nations, and until every single person has heard about the gospel, Jesus Christ can't come again. And I say, not true. Because in Revelation, there are angels in the mid-heavens that are circling the earth. There's two that, for three and a half years, preach the gospel, supernatural beings that go across all the earth and preach the gospel. And so at that time, in the first three and a half years of the tribulation, the gospel is preached to all tribes, nations, peoples, and tongues, the scripture says. So we don't, I mean, I agree with the missionary effort. I think we ought to have as many as we can. We ought to be taking the gospel to as many people as we can, but that isn't how the gospel is preached to every person. It's done by the angels and by the two creatures who roam the earth for three and a half years. Anyway, that's an aside. Then you... Oh, sure. The two witnesses that roam for three and a half years, there's so much rejection of what they say that they're given authority to kill people because they're trying to kill them. And that goes on for three and a half years. And so they have supernatural defenses in which they, if people try and kill them, they kill, the, they kill them and until God's time is up and they get killed by the beast. Okay, all that later to come. But then verse 15, Jesus speaking, Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation, which was spoken of through Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea, then those who are in Judea must flee to the mountains. And then he talks about those on the housetop, come down and go out. Uh, two in a field, don't turn around, go, leave. And so, but you notice he says in verse 15, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken about in Daniel, now, there are many people today, even true believers, who do not believe that the book of Daniel was written by Daniel in the mid-6th century B.C. They believe it couldn't have been because there's too many prophecies that were fulfilled, literally fulfilled in the battles between um, Rome and Egypt. And so it had to be written in the 2nd or 1st century B.C., and it was written by an imposter who used the name Daniel. Now, that's not true, because Jesus Christ right here refers to what Daniel spoke of, what Daniel wrote down. So Jesus Christ believed the book of Daniel was real and true and accurate. So if he believed it, I believe it. And I don't care what anybody says. And the more we discover and the more we find, the more accurate we see that the book of Daniel was. Isn't the bedrock truth there, David, that, that if you reject what Jesus affirms, then you 
And those who believe in Jesus Christ and make those statements don't even realize what they're saying. Because it just does not hold water. Jesus Christ referred to Daniel and said what he spoke of specifically, the abomination of desolation, what Daniel wrote about will take place. And here's Christ prophesying it again. So he reaches back to Daniel and prophesies. John sees visions that reach back to Daniel and prophesy. So we should reach back to Daniel and prophesy. Speak the truth. So is it foundational in scripture? Next time I'll show you more about this abomination of desolation, or at least talk more about it to make that linkage back to Daniel that Jesus Christ made for us. This is why we're looking. Is the seven, is the week spoken of in Daniel 9.27, is that the week of the great tribulation, which is detailed in both Matthew 24, Mark 13, parallel passage, and in the book of Revelation? Is that the great tribulation that Jesus Christ is referring to? So we'll continue to make those links and be able to tie these things together. Otherwise, you have no reason to say that Daniel 9.27 speaks of the great tribulation. If you can't make it the connections in scripture, then quit saying it. But if you can, then you ought to say it. Thanks for your time.